pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. But he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless uh, indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, but none of them is without significance. Therefore, if, if you do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my, mind, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes but an understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and the other lips, and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore tongues are, are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there comes in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if you all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by all. He is convicted or he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down in his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren, when whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, let all things be done for edification. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the gifts and the, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now go down to verse 39. 
Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's the amazing revelation that it is for us. And we want, Lord, to demonstrate that we're your disciples by continuing in your word. Lord, you said that if we continue in your word, we're your disciples indeed. And we want to learn from you. We want to earnestly desire spiritual gifts as you tell us, Lord. And we want to be using these gifts, Lord, to build up your body, to have other people be our focus so that the body can be what you've called it to be. So we pray that you would use these verses for your glory in our lives. And we commit them to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we're continuing in this, in this study in the Holy Spirit. And I covered last week seven different principles about spiritual gifts that we need to understand. If you didn't get that message, you can, there, I think there's a few CDs left back there. Also on the website as well, you can always get caught up and so forth. Um, but I want to just review quickly these principles in case you missed it, or, but also for us that we're here just to really understand them um, or at least be familiar with them. The first thing I talked about is, is the purpose for the spiritual gifts or for the edification of other believers, uh, in, you know, for them to be built up. That's what the word edify means. It means to build up. So the purpose of spiritual gifts in general, as we begin to look at them, is to, that other people will be built up in, uh, in our lives. And we looked at Ephesians chapter 4. One of the purposes of the church is there's two pillars for, that, that are there existing uh, in a biblical church that is, is designed to uh, build up believers so that they are in, they're made into disciples of Jesus. So the first pillar is that the leadership, according to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, I believe verse 11, talks about the, um, you know, the apostles and prophets and pastor teachers and evangelists that are given to the body of Christ for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That's the first pillar. But the second pillar is uh, in, I believe it's verse 16 in, in Ephesians 4, I believe somewhere in there, that talks about each part does its share in the building up of the body. Uh, in love. And so each one of us has been given at least one spiritual gift. And, each, and we've been called to use those gifts for the benefit of other people uh, in the church so that they can grow and be who God's called them to be. And if we do that, both pillars are in place and being used, then disciples will be made and the church will be what God intends it to be. A lot of people are confused about the purpose of the church. But that's from scripture. That's what the purpose of the church is. Number two, he doesn't want us to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. We saw that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. He doesn't want us ignorant. He wants us to know not only our gifts, but all the gifts, what they're about, so that we can properly appreciate the rest of the body of Christ, to encourage them, to pray for them, and so forth. Number three, we can't divorce the gifts from the Lord Jesus or his word. So the, the, the gifts will always glorify the Lord. They'll always point people to Jesus because the Spirit's always pointing people to Jesus. And it will never contradict his word because the Holy Spirit's never going to give us a gift or inspire us to do something that's contradictory to the word that he inspired. So that's a very uh, important principle. Fourth, there are many different gifts, but they all have the same source of the Holy Spirit. So they all have the same source in, in God. God's the one that gives the gifts and so forth. And, and number five, the gifts are for the profit of all. As we see, it's not supremely for my benefit. These Corinthians, they're very much into utilizing the gifts of the Spirit to focus on themselves 
And primarily in this chapter, we'll see they're, they're doing that um, with using those that had the gift of tongues and so forth. Number six, the Spirit of God determines who gets what gifts. That's important. We can't control that. We can't control what gifts we have. We, can't, we can pray for gifts, and we're supposed to desire them, but we can't control that. And also, if we already know we have a gift, we can't wish that gift away. Uh, he's given us what he's given us. And so uh, that's important for us to know. And then seventh, uh, we are desire, desire the best gifts and function in them in, with the motivation of love, as he lays out in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So those are those principles that we looked at. I covered them in more depth uh, on the teaching last week, so you can get that, and I would recommend that you do so if you, if you missed it. So now we're going to talk about individual gifts. We're going to cover a few different gifts every week until we're done. Um, there's different numbers or counts that people have or different numbers that they assign to how many spiritual gifts there are. Um, basically, most people agree that there's 21 spiritual gifts. If you include the four office gifts in Ephesians chapter 4, you know, related to apostles and prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. And so um, there's, but people debate, that's okay. They can spend their time debating how many gifts there are while people in the body of Christ are not getting built up because they're spending so much time arguing about how many gifts there are. So if they want to deal with that, we'll let them get sidetracked. We won't. Um, But today I want to focus on the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues. And I recognize that the gift of tongues is one of the most controversial doctrines or, or things in the body of Christ. Usually everybody has a very strong opinion about it. And what I want to do is let the scripture speak for itself. And so people usually have either they've had their past or their past church experience. Either they have a good experience related to the, the, the gift of tongues and, or they have a bad experience or they have no experience. And, and so I want to encourage you, if you've had a bad experiences, like maybe someone told you that you needed to speak in tongues to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and they, they went through all these things with you and tried to get you to say certain syllables over and over again repeatedly. I mean, there's... I've heard and witnessed some pretty crazy stuff. Trying to prime the pump, so to speak. If you say these certain syllables enough so fast, then it'll catch somehow. I don't, I don't know how all that works. But, uh, you know, that there's, there's, or you went to a church and you were an unbeliever and everyone was speaking in tongues all around you and it scared you. Or, or, or maybe you're just from a background where they've said that if you speak in tongues today, like it wasn't, it's not for today, it was back for the early church, then... You're, you're, in, you're in danger of being possessed by the devil or, you know, there's all kinds of wacky and crazy things out there, um, you know, and I recognize that. I recognize that and I just encourage you to remember that we're told in scripture that every good and perfect gift is from above. Paul's going to say, as we're going to see, he says, I'm, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than you all which wasn't saying a small thing when he's talking about the church of Corinth and, and, and their zeal for spiritual gifts. So he was thankful for it. He said, I wish would that you all speak in tongues, which, which begs the question, did they all have that gift? And the answer is no, they didn't have that gift. We looked last week and, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, when, or at least one of the weeks when we were studying the gifts that uh, when he asked these rhetorical questions at the end of chapter 12. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Are all apostles? And the obvious answer is no. So I just, if you've had a bad experience or you have, if you sense that you have prejudice or bias against the gift of tongues, I just would encourage you to be open-minded to, to God's word. And, and regardless of what your background is or what you've been taught, 
look at it from a fresh standpoint of just, I'm going to look at only what Scripture says. And obviously, we're not going to be able to cover the totality of the subject this morning. But I'm available if you want to uh, get with me after the service and be glad to talk to you. I can recommend some resources and so forth. But we want to have um, uh, uh, you know, a good foundation related to these gifts. You, some of you know my story where I received the gift of tongues at the moment of salvation, which is not typical. Um, so I had to learn what, the, what it was after I'd received the gift. I'd never even heard of that term before in a spiritual context. Uh, and so my personal experience had to um, line up with Scripture, and I'm glad that it did. Because if it didn't, I would have thrown it out. Because God's Word is the ultimate test. We test our experience by the Word of God and not the other way around. We can't look through the filter of our experience and, and measure God's Word. That's not what He's called us to do. He's called us to have God's Word be the final test. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 14. We're told by the Apostle Paul, writing in the Church of Corinth, inspired by the Spirit, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Now he says pursue love because he just got done speaking about love in chapter 13. Now why would God have to tell us to pursue love? Doesn't that just come automatically and we're just automatically loving people and other-centered type people? Not at all. The fact that he has to tell them to pursue it tells us, and we're no better than they, the church of Corinth, tells us that that's something that we have to keep in mind and we have to pursue it. When you pursue something, I guess the closest thing that I would be able to liken it to is when we're courting, you know, uh, in, a, in a full court press. No, when we're in a courting relationship with and um, we're pursuing our future spouse or whatever, full court press basketball, you, you'll know what that is, but most of you don't care. So we'll just move on. But uh, the, you know, you're, you're pursuing them. I pursued my wife. I pursued her. And she didn't submit to that obvious revelation that I was supposed to be her husband at first. She just didn't get it. She didn't have that. She had a mental block or something. Some of you may call it discernment. I don't know. But, um, you know, she didn't get it. But I pursued her. And so we're supposed to pursue love. We're supposed to. Why does God tell us over and over again in the New Testament to love one another? Because we need to be reminded because we normally won't. We'll be loving ourselves primarily without any help. God doesn't ever tell us to love ourselves. He never tells us to focus on ourselves because that's our problem is that we focus too much on ourselves. So he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. I find it very noteworthy that he tells this church of Corinth to desire spiritual gifts. That's like telling me to desire food. You know, I'm already very much into food, you know, like some of us here, uh, maybe, maybe me a little bit more than others. I don't know. But it's like saying someone that it's like telling a Raider fan to, to pursue football or something. I mean, Raider fans are so loyal. They're, they're loyal fans. Trust me. They, I hear about it all the time. And as a 49er fan. But I mean, it, it, you, why would you why would Paul? I mean, wouldn't Paul be concerned? Like, what am I doing? I'm, I would, I would, why would I encourage, they were going too far, they're out of balance, they're too zealous. He would be saying, whoa, 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 cool. I mean, that's what I'd be doing. Calm down, Corinth, you're, you're, you're out of balance. You're, he doesn't do it. He fans the flame. He fans the flame, seeking God and his gifts. And I, that, that's important for us to see. And he says, especially that you may prophesy. Now, the context of chapter 14 is corporate worship. If you lose sight of that, you're going to, there's all kinds of interpreters and people that write books about the Bible and so forth and commentators that get it, get it wrong because they don't remember the whole chapter is talking about 
corporate worship, when we come together and worship together. And if you understand that, then a lot of this chapter will make more sense, trust me. Um, And so he's saying, you you know, when you come together, edification or being built up, that's the goal. And, And what help us understand this chapter is understanding that understanding equals edification. So you, we, if you don't have understanding related to things being done in, in, in corporate worship, then you can't be built up to the extent that God wants us to be built up. And that's why he says a lot of what he says. Now he gets to the essence of what speaking in tongues is in verse 2. He says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. So that's important for us to see. What's the direction? When someone has the gift of tongues and they speak in that prayer language, and that's referred to in this chapter as kind of something that we do as as an expression of prayer, what am I doing? I'm, I'm communicating to God. What is prayer? Prayer is communicating from man to God. And so when, when I'm praying, and he says it, talking about um, you know praying with my spirit, singing with my spirit, all these things that we can do that have the gift of tongues, um, that we are, we are doing something directly between our spirit and God. Now, that's important for us to see because when we get into the interpretation of tongues, the direction of what we're interpreting is very important, which we'll get into in a little bit. So he says, no one understands him. So when someone has the gift of tongues, when they, so when they speak out in that, in that gift, when they speak in tongues, as we like to say, they're communicating from them to God. They're expressing thanks. They're expressing worship. Even in Acts chapter 2, when you have the unbelievers there, the Jews that were there that heard them on the day of Pentecost speaking in tongues, they said, we heard them speaking, magnifying and praising God in our own language. So they recognized in Acts chapter 2 that, that the direction of tongues was from man to God. And it says, no one understands him. And that's important because there's teaching out there that it's for preaching the gospel and like somehow God gives you another language to preach the gospel to someone in a language that you don't know. And that's not the case because it says right here, no one understands him. So it's, it's not to man. When you speak in tongues, it's not speaking to any man. You're speaking to God. And then so the, the purpose of the message is to, is to bless God, not to bless or have anything to do with a man. Uh, now, on, in Acts chapter 2, God gave them, it was a little bit different circumstance there. It was more than just their, their own prayer language there. He was actually using that opportunity to have them question what was going on at, at the day of Pentecost so that Peter could stand up and preach the, the gospel. So he used the event of them being baptized with the Holy Spirit and the loud sound that they heard and all of that, for them to gather together. For, they were there for the feast. They're from all over the place, these Jews. And they heard all of this, and that's what brought them together, ready to hear uh, the apostle Peter preach the gospel. So that's when the speaking to men happened, is when uh, he preached the gospel. But before that, they were, they were praising and magnifying God. That's what the people said they heard in their own language. So that's important for us to understand that because in the spirit, he speaks mystery. So we don't know, those of us that have the gift of tongues, we don't understand what we're, what we're the, the words. It's not like we know what we're saying. Our spirit is praying directly to God. It's bypassing our understanding. It's bypassing our mind. And, and so we're still going to pray in our minds at the same time, of course, but we're praying with our spirit and we don't understand what we're, what we're saying. Verse two or three rather. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. 
But he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now, verse 4 has been, people have talked about verse 4, commentators have said, see, it's a selfish gift. Because, you know, you edify yourself, and they're saying that in a negative sense. But that's, it's not, God wants us built up spiritually. It's not that our flesh is being uh, enhanced or anything like that. It's talking about spiritually being built up. Now, again, you have to understand the difference between our private time with the Lord and, and, and when we're corporately together. So he says, if you're going to meet together and to worship, it'd be much better than just speaking in your own prayer language to God. Those of you that have that gift, it'd be much better if you did something that gives people understanding. Because remember, understanding equals being built up. So he says, he who prophesies edifies the church. And since we're talking about the church meeting and when we come together, then it'd be much better. That's why he says, uh, I would that you would prophesy. In other words, if I have a choice between you just speaking in your prayer language and no one understanding and interpretation of tongues not happening and so forth, and you guys that have the gift of prophecy to prophesy, I'd much rather have you prophesy, even if it's just this very short amount of prophecy, I'd much rather have that because then the whole church is built up and, and encouraged and, and strengthened. So that's important for us to see. Now look at verse 5. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. Again, it's greater in the public setting. It's greater in a corporate worship. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying in general that the, the, the gift of prophecy is superior to the gift of tongues. He's saying in a corporate meeting, when you're all coming together, it's greater because people can understand. And so we need to see that. Now, I did fail to mention, though, in verse 4, when it says, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, how that happens is you are spiritually built up when you pray in that prayer language that you have. And that's why Paul is saying, I would that you all speak in tongues. He knows that can't happen because God doesn't give everybody that gift. But he wants, he, he loves that gift so much, and he's so, so thankful for that gift he wishes that everybody would have that gift. And that's kind of true with all of us that have certain spiritual gifts. There's such a blessing in how God uses them in, through our lives into the lives of others that we would want everyone to have that gift. People with the gift of mercy want everyone to have the gift. People that have the gift of teaching want everybody to be, have that gift of teaching. I mean, you can go all the way down the line. We want, the ble- we want everybody to have the same blessing and, and to be used by the God to the same extent that, that we are with, with uh, an individual gift then but he does say in the middle of verse five unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification again the goal when we come together is to build one another up and for certain gifts like the gift of tongues unless there's someone to interpret doesn't build anybody else up except the person that has the gift and god's for that he wants people to be built up with that gift but when you're all coming together in a in a, in a corporate worship he wants everybody built up and so if, if he interprets, and this is speaking of him doing interpretation of his own tongue, which he's going to get into a little bit later, that can happen, but, but mostly it happens to other people with that gift of interpretation that, that offer that um, up so that everyone can be edified. Verse 6, but now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying? or by teaching. So what's the common denominator by all of those things in verse 6? They're all things that people can understand. Again, you can't build up in a corporate setting unless people understand. 
And all those things, without any special help, like the gift of tongue needs, they all, people understand a revelation. People understand a word of knowledge. They understand a prophecy or a teaching. All those are going to be done in the language that those, the people understand. So he's saying, I'd much rather have that um, you know, than having someone just speaking in tongues without an interpreter. And then he says, this is not unusual. Even in life, it's the same, in this, it's the same with related to, to uh, understanding. He says, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? We can't know a song. Let's say the worship team up here, that they, they lead us in worship in a certain song. And there's no words up on the screen. It's a brand new song. We don't know it. We can't join in. We can't recognize that song because we haven't had experience with that song before. And, and so we have to, and he's saying, just like it is in a lot of things in life, we have to have understanding. He gives a second example in verse 8. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? That was very common when you would call, uh, I'm sorry, I keep thinking of, you know, the Ewoks, you know, when they'd, and they all go out in the battle, you know, in Star Wars. I'm sorry, you you know who you're dealing with here, you know. Um, But, you know, they they don't, I don't know, I think they're still buglers. Is that that what they, who they are, what what they're called? I don't know. But, I mean, they they would make this sound. It would, it would, it was a certain sound. It was a certain tune. So they'd know certain types of battles were, were happening or certain parts of the army or the military was supposed to act in a certain way. There was distinction. There was understanding. Again, that's the common denominator, understanding. Verse 9, so likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, there's our word understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world. So this is where he's, he's kind of pointing to the fact that this, the gift of tongues is a language. There are many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, they're speaking more to understanding here, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Now, the Corinthians didn't care about this. They didn't care if anyone understood or not what they were saying in in their prayer language and no one was interpreting because it wasn't about other people in their minds. It was about them. It was all about them. And that's where the, when you have gifts being used for selfish reasons, it ruins the whole thing and and God's grieved by it. He's, he's, he's quenched. The spirit is quenched because he gives the gifts for not just for our benefit, but supremely for other people's benefit through our lives. So when you have a Christian that says, you know, I'm all about this gift and they're, they're focusing on themselves or wanting themselves to be seen or noticed or, uh, you know, all of that, it quenches the spirit. We have to understand that. So all, in, any, in any way that we serve, we should be focused on having other people built up and our other people be our focus. And so it's important for us to see that. He doesn't want other people in the church be a foreigner to us and us be a foreigner to them. He wants all of us to know each other, to appreciate one another, to know each other enough to be able to know, it, you know how we can pray for one another. And in our culture, we just, we're so focused on ourselves. I mean, we don't need any help from the culture. Our sinful nature is very much like that. But part of maturing is to be engaging the rest of the body of Christ, whatever that looks like, to know them, to know what their needs are, to know how to bless them, how to encourage them. When we come among God's people, we need to focus on 
their needs and what we can do to help them and what we can do to build them up and strengthen them. That's what God will get behind. Verse 12. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Because again, they were zealous for spiritual gifts and and they were focused on themselves, not for the edification or the building up of the church. Verse 13. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. This is all talking about the corporate worship now. So if someone is led to speak in a tongue, he needs to pray that he may interpret. Be open to that. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. Notice right there in the middle of verse, verse 14. He says that's what's happening. When someone's speaking in a tongue, their spirit is praying, but my understanding is unfruitful. Verse 15, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, talking about using his the gift of tongues, and I will also pray with the understanding, pray with my mind, pray with, uh, you know, how I'm supposed to pray and how I normally would pray like everyone else prays. I will sing with the Spirit. So that's possible to sing in tongues. There's your biblical basis for singing in tongues because it is worship. It's worship. It's giving thanks. It's giving adoration to the Lord. And we do that in our language, in our native language. We, we do that in song, Right? So obviously you can do that with your spirit if you have that gift. And I also sing with the understanding. That's why it's important to have biblical lyrics and, you know, all these things. We need to sing in in spirit and in truth. Verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with with the spirit. Again, these these are expressions from man to God. I'm blessing God. I'm singing to God. I'm praying to God. Those things are this direction. They're going from man to God. How will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks since he does not understand what you say? So again, I can give thanks with the gift of tongues. I can give, I'm, I'm singing, I'm praying, I'm blessing, I'm giving thanks. All these things I can do with the gift of tongues and I'm bypassing my mind. I'm singing directly with my spirit to God. But other people in a corporate setting, or in a corporate setting, they have to understand or they're not built up. And God wants us to be built up. Because building, when we're built up, then that is that second pillar. Where I talked about where we're all using our different spiritual gifts to build each other up. Because his ultimate goal when we come together is for disciples to be made. So we can go out there and preach the gospel bring them in to be discipled. They get raised up in maturity to where they can reproduce and preach the gospel themselves to go out there and preach the gospel, then bring those people in. And it's that cycle. That's how God has set, set it up. So he's saying that has to happen. It, 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 it's, it's something that um, is, is a necessity. It's not optional. Verse 17. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified or built up. Verse 18, this is important. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. That's a pretty big statement to say that about the the church of Corinth, that Paul the apostle speaks in tongues more than all of them collectively. That's a lot. That just shows you how much he used that gift, how much he appreciated that gift, and, and was thankful for that gift. But notice the word yet in verse 19. Or some translations may say, but. Yet in the church. So that shows us again the context of everything that he's saying. He's talking about the church gathering. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding 
that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul is contrasting his private devotional life, his private worship time, his private praying time, his private time with the Lord. He's saying, in that context, I speak in tongues more than you all because I don't have to worry about other people understanding because I'm not around other people, I'm not around the rest of the church. I'm just with me and the Lord. And so I, I pray in tongues and I speak in tongues more than you all. But when I'm in the church, I would rather, if I had to choose between 10,000 words in a tongue, which tells us there's words, because he says there's words, 10,000 words in a tongue, I'd rather, I'd rather, instead of doing that, I'd rather speak five words with my understanding so that others will be built up. Verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. This goes back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of spiritual gifts. And he's saying that to people that are very zealous about spiritual gifts, which tells us just because you're zealous for spiritual gifts doesn't mean that you're not ignorant. It's true. And it doesn't mean that you're not, it doesn't mean that you're automatically godly. Think about that for a moment. Whole churches, whole denominations are so zealous for spiritual gifts. Some of them, and I used to be one of them, assumed that because I was zealous for spiritual gifts and I was used in spiritual gifts, that automatically meant that I was mature. But the Church of Corinth, if you read through the book, you see they're one of the most carnal churches in the whole New Testament. So zeal and experience in spiritual gifts does not necessarily equal maturity, spiritual maturity. The measure for spiritual maturity is the fruit of the Spirit, not the gifts of the Spirit. On any given moment, the gifts, of the, the gifts of the Spirit could be used, but on any given moment, the fruit of the Spirit needs to be coming out of my life. That's a sign of spiritual maturity. I would much rather have a person serving alongside of me that it shows the fruit of the Spirit then is super zealous for all the gifts of the Spirit, claims that they, they flow in all the gifts of the Spirit or whatever, and, and, but there's no fruit there. There's no fruit. There's no love and joy and peace and patience and all these things that, that the Holy Spirit produces. And the Holy Spirit is going to give us and have us use these spiritual gifts in line with the character that he reveals in us in the fruit of the Spirit. They're not too, they're not, sometimes we see these things as separated from each other. It's the same spirit. The same spirit that's producing the fruit of the spirit is the same spirit that's giving us the gifts of the spirit. So obviously I need to function in the gifts of the spirit in this, with the character of the fruit of the spirit coming forth from my life. And that just doesn't happen. I have to abide in Christ and I have to make my home in him and dwell in him and abide in him so that he will bear fruit through my life. And it's the same with all of us. So he says, do not be children in understanding. Again, do not be ignorant related to spiritual gifts. It doesn't matter if it's not your thing or you're not into it or you have a, he, even if you had a bad experience, he says, you know what, That's, I'm, not a, I'm not happy that you had a bad experience. But the solution to bad experiences is not ignoring the whole thing. The solution is having good experiences, having biblical experience, just like with leadership. The solution to bad leadership is not having, is not zero leadership and not being around God's people at all and isolating away. The solution is having good leadership. That's the solution. It's the same with spiritual gifts. 
The problem, if we've had abused or we've been in error and all of those things, it's not to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just, I don't want nothing to do with it. And trust me, I understand that sense. I've had that sense before. I've been involved in so much error. If I told you some of the stories, you, if, you, if, if it weren't so funny, you would cry of what I've been a part of, the error that I've been. So I understand if you're coming from that background, you may not want to throw all that out, but I'm telling you, he says to not be ignorant, and he says to earnestly desire in chapter 14, verse 1 in our passage. He says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, which means that you may recognize that you have a certain gift. Most of us are under, know that. We know maybe one gift that we have, maybe a couple. And I want to encourage us, don't assume that because you know one or two gifts that you have or you, you're pretty confident that you now don't need to seek God anymore related to other spiritual gifts. He just may not have revealed that other gift or the other few gifts that he, that he wants to show you that you have. He hasn't revealed it yet, but you've stopped seeking him related to it. Don't prejudge those things. Go to him. Find out what those things are. That's part of what, why we're doing this series. We're going to go over all those different spiritual gifts. I'm going to be trying to, to um, go into how you know you have them. And some of those are pretty evident, self-evident. And tongues is pretty, pretty self-evident. Uh, but uh, there are many of them that we don't know that we may have. And, and so we need to, to look at that. So he says um, to not be, not be children understanding, however, in malice be babes. Now, that, that's not un, uh, unrelated to the improper use of spiritual gifts. Because we can have malice. What's, that? What's malice? Malice is having evil intent towards somebody. We can have evil intent towards somebody in the context of spiritual gifts. We cannot appreciate them, what they do. We can be jealous of their gift. We can hope that, that they, they get some other gift that they don't want there's all kinds of wicked things we could do in our hearts and and he says don't do that in general of course don't be don't be full of malice but especially in spiritual gifts be understanding and be mature that's what he's aiming at verse 21 in the law it is written men with men of other tongues and other lips i will speak to this people and yet for all that they will not hear me says the lord now we're talking about in Isaiah talks about that the Jews were going to hear because they were brought into captivity they were going to hear other kinds of tongues in the sense of human different kinds of tongues and and that was going to be a sign that they were that God had judged them for their idolatry and carried them away uh, into captivity and so forth and and he's basically saying that it's you know when on the day of Pentecost when God gave the the, the these Jews that had become Christians the the gift of tongues that was a sign to the Jews in general that God was doing something entirely new and he was creating the church. And in a, in a sense, that was like a sign of judgment, um, even though he was wanting them to be a part of it and to believe and so forth. And so when he's saying tongues are, are for a sign, he's talking about uh, to the Jews, it was a sign for unbelievers, for them to see that God was doing something um, entirely apart from what they were thinking he was going to do just like when they were brought into captivity and heard those tongues babylonian tongues and so forth but he says uh, therefore if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers will they not say that you are out of your mind now how many of us have been to churches where everybody's speaking in tongues out loud where everyone can hear quite a few of us now what he it's so funny again 
Just go by what Scripture says. If there's any chance that an unbeliever can be among us, God says you are not allowed to speak with tongues all at the same time. And, and, and there's, so there's two purposes for that. For one, he's already said that it doesn't build us up if we do that, if we don't understand. So in our private devotional times, if we have that gift, we can use that gift all we want. And it's not, no one's going to think we're crazy because we're by ourselves. But we're in, the, we're, in, we're in the context of the larger church. He's concerned about two things related to uh, people speaking in tongues who have that gift in an unbiblical way. He's concerned with people not being built up. We've already talked about that. And he's concerned about unbelievers thinking we're crazy. <laughs> isn't that, it's great that he's concerned about that. I mean, the church isn't supremely designed for unbelievers. We've gone over that before. The, the purpose of the church is to make disciples. Unbelievers are, are invited to be among us and we preach the gospel. But the main purpose is not to reach unbelievers when we come together. A lot of people have that confused in the church. The main purpose is to make disciples. But God knows that unbelievers will come in. So when unbelievers come in, if we're, if we're giving room and we're led to, to function in the gifts of the Spirit at that time, whenever we're together as believers, then if we're all doing it all at the same time and there's no interpretation, then we're, we're potentially stumbling unbelievers that think we're crazy because they don't understand what's going on. So he says we are not to do that. We are not to all come together, all speak in tongues at the same time. If there's any possibility that unbelievers could be present. Now, some people take this too far, and they teach that if we're in a context where there's no unbelievers or no, po- it's not even possible for unbelievers to be among us, that if someone speaks in a tongue in their expression of worship, I'm not talking about loud where it like draws attention to themselves. I'm talking about just under their breath or whatever, and somebody, some other Christian right next to them hears it, that it's like, a, like they've committed a sin. And I, that's going too far. Because... It, just because we're not edified and built up doesn't mean that person can't use that gift and sing and so forth in a way that's not distracting and drawing attention to themselves. You know, so it's, it's not sinful for believers to hear other believers speaking in tongues. We just can't do it in a way to where it's the focus and people aren't built up because without people understanding, no one's going to be built up. That's his whole point. So then he says in verse 25, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down, well, let me move to 24, actually. But if all prophesy, that's, that's talking about people who have the gift. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by all and is, he is con- convinced by all. There we go. Convinced by all, he is convicted by all. So prophecy is actually something that God can use and wants to use when unbelievers are among us. Wow, that's interesting. You never would have thought of that. But when someone has that gift and they're proclaiming and they're speaking for God, it's powerful. And, and I've had people, not that I've had necessarily times where I've prophesied up here, maybe one or two times, but it's kind of the same idea when I've had people say, my, the person that I invited were, was mad at me because they, they were thinking that I told you everything that was going on in their lives because how could you know and speak to all those things that they're dealing with? And they've been really seriously mad. I mean, they would not accept that that person did not tell me before the service things that they were going. They didn't accept it. And that's the Holy Spirit doing his work. But it, it's also that 
God wants to save that unbeliever. And he can, through prophecy or through the teaching of God's word, he can reveal things to unbelievers and show them that that he is real and, and that they need to put their trust in him. And so they will have that, uh, that, that uh, testimony, verse 25, unless the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Interesting that there's no invitation here that he responds to. We don't, people don't need to respond to an invitation to get saved. They can just put their trust in Christ and, and call upon the name of the Lord right there. That's what happened to me. I didn't respond to an invitation. Someone had planted seeds related to the gospel, and I, re- I received that in the, in the aisle there and 25 years ago and said, Lord, I trust you. I want all you have to offer, and he baptized me with the Spirit and, and saved me. But the, so this shows that a, a, an unbeliever can come in, hear a prophecy, and they can receive Christ apart from an invitation, fall down and worship God and say, God is, is truly among you. And that's what we're praying Will, will happen here, and it has happened here. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification or, or to, to build up. So he's saying when we come together, we all have something to contribute, but the common denominator between all those things is that we understand them. We understand because they're speaking in our language. And, and because they're speaking our language, we understand. And because we understand, we're built up. And he wants us to be built up when we come together. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. So if we're waiting on the Lord and we're having a meeting where we're, we're open to whatever God wants to do and say and the spiritual gifts and operation and so forth and someone says I have a tongue that I'm that I need to that I want I feel led to to speak out then sometimes I will ask does anyone else here have an have the interpretation sometimes people will come and say you know in in like an afterglow or a believers meeting or whatever they'll come and say I have the interpretation so if anyone else has a tongue that 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 they want to speak out I already have the interpretation you know it's neat to see how God how he works all those things out and it's beautiful now let me let me just get into the gift of interpretation here it's very simple basically you're translating or i would say translating but interpreting or have have on your heart what god wants to communicate or or share and let us in on what happened between that person and him through the gift of tongues since it is from man to god and it is worship and giving thanks and blessing god and all those things that we've seen then the interpretation goes the same direction. This is what was hard for me coming from the background that I was in because every interpretation of a tongue sounded like a prophecy. How many of us have heard that before? A lot of us. So I had to, when I first came to Calvary Chapel and I was listening to the pastor's tapes, back then there there were only tapes, you know, no eight tracks, okay? So at least I wasn't there, but... um, you know, I was listening to tapes, and I was listening to 1 Corinthians 14. I was yelling at the, at the stereo because I was mad. No. It, it, tongues, tongues, you know, it, the interpretation of tongues is a, sounds like a prophecy. Even though all the time in my experience of hearing prophecies and hearing interpretation of tongues, it always bothered me. Why do we need an interpretation of tongues that sounds like a prophecy when we have prophecies? It seems like it's unnecessary. But this one lady in the choir... 
she would give interpretation of tongues at times, and it sounded like a song. It was, it was, it was, it sounded like a, a, a song of worship to God. And I'm like, well, that's different. And what I didn't realize is that that was the biblical uh, interpretation of tongues, because if if the gift of tongues is from man to God, and it's going from man to God, and it's communication to, to, to him, when you interpret that, it's going to go the same direction. It's going to sound like a prayer or worship and all that. It's not going to be a prophecy. There's no such thing in the scriptures as a message in tongues, a message from God uh, of tongues that someone gives the tongue and then someone gives a prophecy that's, that they call uh, interpretation of tongues. That is not what we see. Because in verse 1 and verse 2, we already saw that when anyone speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to man but to God. So he speaks this way to God in prayer and worship. So the interpretation of that obviously is going to sound the same, go the same direction. But notice he, gives, he has order in verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, then he says, let there be two or the most three. That's it. There's not going to be any more, more than three in any time that we come together and are waiting on the Lord and using the gifts of the Spirit. There's not going to be more than three. They're not going to be all at the same time. Notice he says, each in turn, and let one interpret for each of those, for each of those uh, tongues there. Then he gives instruction for prophets. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. So we'll get into the gift of prophecy later. And then he says, But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and may be encouraged. Again, building up. Edification is the goal. And then verse 32 I really want to focus on. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. How many of us have heard people say, the spirit took over, brother, and I couldn't control myself? No, that's not biblical. Right there we see the spirits of the prophets are subject to to the prophets. Some of you are thinking, what kind of church have you gone to? I mean, mean, how wild was it? Were you guys hanging from chandeliers and going on trapeze? And, uh, you know, what what were you guys doing? You would would be shocked on some of the things. But the point is, is that our spirits are subject. We can control the spirit in our spirits and how we're used. We have self-control. One of the fruits of the spirit is what? Self-control. God never causes us to be out of control that's not biblical the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets and then he gets into something that's very important in verse 33 for god is not the author of confusion but of peace as in all the churches of the saints so what paul is saying is if you're all speaking in tongues at the same time and there's no interpretation or if you do these things and and you give a tongue and there's more than three tongues or no one interprets the tongue and it's confusing and all that god's not behind any of that so don't blame the holy spirit for that we blame the holy spirit for a lot of crazy wacky things i'm sure he doesn't appreciate it you know the test is did jesus teach it did he practice it was it was it practiced in the book of acts was it taught on in the epistles that's the threefold test that's safety for us so it has to look like jesus it has to point people to jesus not ourselves it has to be other centered people have to have understanding have to be built up and so forth and it has to be orderly many people think if it's of the spirit it has to be out of control it's, it, we had no control. It was just out of control. The service was like going off on all these tangents and no one knew what was happening and no one, no one knew what was going to happen next and, 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 and we had no control over it. It was just a runaway. You ever heard of that? A runaway? A runaway service. The Holy Spirit just took, took this thing where before we were, no, we were doing, you know, 
backflips and flip-flops and you know, all these things and, and it looked nothing like Christ. It wasn't in order. All of that is false. By my authority, no. By the word of God's authority right here. He's not the author of confusion. Now, we can take this whole thing of God's not the author of confusion, but of peace, and we can use that to quench the spirit in some ways. Well, we have to understand every tiny little thing he does, he has to be predictable. No, that's not what it's talking about. It just means that it's in order, and it's, and it's, it's not confusing, and, it, and it, it's building up people. That's very important for us to see. Now, let's skip down to verse 39, where he says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. This talking about the, the, the corporate worship again. Brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy. Do not forbid to speak with tongues. Now, how many churches in America forbid people speaking in tongues? A lot. A lot. He says right here, do not forbid to speak with tongues. Maybe you want to forbid leaders or churches from being, believing in this gift or whatever. Right here, God says to you in verse 39, it's not right for you to forbid speaking with tongues. 1 Corinthians 13 is used and misused like crazy to teach that the gifts of the Spirit are not for today. When it says that when, when we, we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, all these things will pass away in 1 Corinthians 13. Then we know, we know in part, we prophesy in part, when perfection comes. It's talking about when we meet Jesus. When we see him face to face, that's what he's talking about. Then we will see him face to face. It's talking about seeing him. And when we see him, we won't have, when we're in heaven, we won't need the gifts of the Spirit at that time. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about that which is perfect. He's talking about the canon of Scripture when the Bible was, was written. Now we don't need the gifts of the Spirit anymore, and those gifts were used to get the church going and all that. That's someone's probable reaction to the abuse of the gifts and craziness that they saw and said, I know that's not of God, so I've got to find some verse here that says that it all passed away because I don't want to deal with that craziness. I understand that. I understand not wanting to be a part of craziness. But the, the answer is not taking scriptures out of context and making them say something that they clearly don't say. The answer is to, to function in these things biblically. And so we want to do that. There is a place for the gift of tongues in a, in a, in a church body. No, he's not going to interrupt himself and interrupt the gift of teaching that's happening. But God says all the gifts of the Spirit are supposed to, to, to be in operation, but it has to be done biblically, decently, and in order. And that's what he says in verse 40. Notice he says, let all things be done decently and in order. God is not a God of confusion. And so he wants us to understand what these things are. Now, how do you know if you have the gift of tongues? You start speaking in a language you don't understand and that no one understands. I mean, it's possible that he could give you a prayer language that is a real language, an earthly language that other people in other countries understand. That's possible. That happened in Acts chapter 2. There's stories of that happening with people. But in, you know, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said, whether I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and have not love. So most, time, most of the time, it's an angelic or, or a, a, you know, a heavenly language that you're speaking. It definitely has syllables and has a framework and has structure. Watch, I'll do it right now. Just kidding. Some of you guys like, some of you guys like, whoa, I'm going to wake up now. No, I'm just kidding. But the point is, is that it's a real language. And, 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 but my spirit is praying. My spirit is engaging the Lord. Some people point to Romans 8.26. It says that we, we don't know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings and utterings that words cannot express. Now, that doesn't say tongues there. 
But it could be for some people, especially if they have that gift, that could be what that's talking about. But we can't, that I don't believe is, is only talking about that because that's talking about what all Christians are, 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 can enjoy with the Spirit interceding for them and so forth. Sometimes there's groanings and utterings that aren't tongues at all. It's just you just, the God's moving on you and you're crying out to him and you're making sounds that, isn't, that aren't, isn't normal for what you normally make. And he is groaning and he is uttering things and he is, is interceding for you on behalf of your needs that he knows way more than we know. And that's what's happening. So we can't put tongues in there when, it, when Paul could have easily said tongues, but he, he chose not to. So I believe when you look at people baptized with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, it usually was accompanied with tongues or prophecy or something outward, um, but not always. And God leaves room for himself to not be in a box and have to work a certain way. Again, the purpose of being baptized with the Spirit, as we've gone over, is boldness, to be a witness to Christ. He said, you'll receive power, not tongues. He said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And even though they did all receive the gift of tongues, and there was a, a unique purpose for all of them receiving that gift at that time. So it's important for us. But maybe you've prayed and you've asked God for the gift of tongues. Don't give up. Keep seeking him. Maybe he wants to give you that gift. Just because he hasn't given it to you yet doesn't mean that he won't. If, you, if that's something that, you know, that is your desire and you're seeking him, but all the gifts of the Spirit we should seek. So if you get alone with the Lord and, and, and you start praying and you start asking him for that gift or whatever, and all of a sudden you're speaking in a language that you've never spoken before, you have the gift of tongue. I know that's like, well, that's not real, you know, it's not a big revelation there, Pat. I understand that. But it's happened. There's people that have prayed, and then a days later, weeks later, months later, they're doing something, and all of a sudden they're praying, and they start speaking in another language. And, and it just starts flowing. When I, when I received Christ, I didn't know anything about that. And I just, I just started praying, and it started coming. I didn't know what it was. I thought they would think I was nuts, crazy. I'm a visitor to a church, and here I am. What's happened to me? I knew it was of God, but I didn't know what it was. And, and, and so be open to it. I mean, it is, it is a blessing. Every gift is, is a blessing. Don't be prejudiced against it. I believe there should be a lot more uh, people walking in that gift than there are in the body of Christ, because some people are prejudiced against it or afraid of it. You know, if, he said, if, if you, you know, if you, your son asks for a piece of bread, are you going to give him a, a stone? You know, he goes, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? You don't have to be afraid of what God's going to give you if you seek him and ask for any gift. It's just a huge, huge blessing. And I'm, my prayer is that we would grow in that and that when we have times and we're waiting on the Lord and there's different gifts of the Spirit being used and so forth, that, that many of us will, will be able to be used in that particular gift or the interpretation of tongues and so forth. But we have to be open to it. We have to be open. So hopefully this helps you. If you have any additional questions, please see me, and I'd be glad to either answer your questions or point you to resources that will help you. Let's just be open to all the gifts. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that every gift, per, good and perfect gift is, is from you. And I pray, Father, that all of us that don't have that gift yet, that you want to give, Lord, help us to be open. And I pray that you would give that gift to those that you want to give that gift to, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that we would appreciate all your gifts, Lord. And we thank you for this one. And we pray that you would use the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation of tongues 
in our midst, Lord, more and more and more. Because we know it's important for us to be built up. We know it's important uh, related to being made into the disciples you want us to be. So we trust you with that. We commit it to you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.